It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Clinton Yates, you do not want to miss him, coming up at 5.30. Right now, though, let it let us get extremely nerdy. Um, I told you, we're going to have to talk to a lot of different people today. Uh, Adam Tusk, by the way, of NBC4, their, their transportation reporter is going to join us later as well. But right now, an economist? Yeah. An economist, it's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story, from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. For more on this, we bring in uh, really one of the experts of the experts on it, at least from the economic side of it. Andy Zimbalas has been writing about the intersection of sports and economics for 30 years, uh, including how stadiums uh, have affected sports or sports. You know, sports stadiums have affected local economies, all of those types of things. Uh, he's a professor. He's a published author. And uh, somehow he's wound up uh, on, on a uh, December afternoon on a sports radio show. Andy, thanks so much for your time. appreciate it. Good to be with you. So to start, I would like to kind of define what we're talking about here uh, when it comes to the, you know, obviously the, the, the reason we're talking about this is we have a basketball and hockey team moving out of the District of Columbia to Virginia. And Perhaps. the economic consensus is that stadiums are bad. Like, that's the, the very top-line item. Stadiums are bad for economies. They don't actually provide the economic boost that is often promised by politicians. So how do you define that economic boost? What what Like, whose economy are we talking about here? A city budget versus what fans spend versus, you know, obviously Ted Leonsis is doing it for a reason as the owner of these teams. He's got his own personal economy he's worried about. So we talk about the economic side of it. What, what is the economy that we're talking about? Well, really, you could, we could do any one of those three things. We could look at its impact on fans or the impact on Ted Leonsis and his teams or the impact on D.C. and Alexandria. So all of, all of those are, are game for, for analysis. Um, I, I think when stadiums are getting built, or arenas are getting built, I think the more common question that gets asked by the media is what impact is it going to have economically on the city, mm -hmm. uh, either either D.C. Or, or Alexandria or even the state of state of Virginia. Um, most of the economic analysis that's been done on that question does suggest, as you had indicated, that uh, there's there's not much gain to be made by by having a new a new team or a new facility in your area. I, I think even though that's the, the basic conclusion in the general case, that there have been some cases uh, where there's a lot of private financing and where there are certain synergies between the development program and the city's needs, it's possible that you could have positive budgetary impact whereby the, the city budget will generate more revenue than it will generate costs. It's possible, but it's not typical. And so I think the the sagest advice one could give to a city is to be extremely cautious and careful as you put down your, your assumptions and your numbers and make sure that when you're lining up presumed investments from developers that uh, you've, you've lined them up with a contract rather than simply a letter of agreement or a memorandum of understanding. 
I was actually reading earlier today out of the Washington Post archives when the MCI Center, as it was called at the time, opened uh, in the early 2000s and how Abe Poland put $200 million of his own money. There was about $60 million in public funds. Is that looked at as one of those potential success stories, the the origin of this building uh, that is now Capital One Arena um, and, and how it changed D.C. Is, is one that can work if there's the right amount of private investment? It's, it's conceivable that... that- you, you could make that argument for the MC, the old MCI center. Um, in addition to Abe putting up a larger share of money than, than is typical, uh, he also accepted lease terms, which were unfavorable to his team. Um, and, uh, you know, and this is something that Leonsis has been complaining about for years. He doesn't really have a right to complain about it, by the way, because when he bought, when he bought, well, it was back, there was, I think it was still the bullets when he bought it. Um, what's now the Wizards, when he bought it, th- those unfavorable lease terms, and Leonsis says it costs him $36 million a year. I'm not sure that's the right number, but he's paying a lot of money to stay in that stadium or that, that arena. Uh, those unfavorable arena terms impacted the price that he was paying for the team. So he paid a, lo- a lot lower price than he otherwise would have. If, if he had the deal that he says everybody else has, where they're paying 3 or $4 million a year for their arena, then he would have had to pay more for his team. Uh, so he's, he's already benefited from, from a lower price. And now he wants both the lower price and the, the lease terms that, that he says other teams have. So, uh, you know, in, in this case, and at this point, I think it's very hard to make an assessment, economic assessment of the economic impact because they simply haven't released very much information. They're making the claim that the additional financial obligations that the city is taking on and the state is taking on, they're making the claim that those obligations will be covered by additional revenue that will be generated by the activity, but they haven't said what assumptions they're making. They haven't given us any details whatsoever. Uh, and we know from other cases that uh, the, these, uh, the, these mixed public-private partnerships uh, have a lot of question marks. Uh, so, for instance, they're talking about a special tax zone. Special tax zone is one where you designate a certain geographic area, and then you say any additional tax revenues taken from that area will go to finance the debt service on the bonds that were issued in order to finance the construction. The problem with that, or the problem that there may be with that, is that some of the new activity that comes to this zone might be activity that moved from elsewhere in Alexandria or from elsewhere in Virginia. And so other, other parts of, of the city are going to be generating less tax revenue, even though the special tax zone will generate more. But in Met, what the city cares about is its overall resources. And the resources uh, might not increase in that case. They go down in part A of the city, but they go up in part B. What's, what's the net? Uh, so we have to know a lot more to be able to assess something like that. Uh, that leads to kind of one of the big questions, I think, specific to these teams moving. And also when we're talking about the Commander Stadium, as we're joined by Andy Zimbalist, economist, author uh, with us here on the Hoffman Show. Um, how different is the calculation for the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia? Because unlike when the 49ers move from San Francisco to Santa Clara or the, the Warriors move from Oakland to San Francisco, they're still within the state of California. Going from the District of Columbia to Maryland, does that change the calculus for the jurisdictions involved? Sure, it changes it somewhat. Um, it's, it's probably not the case that every dollar that was spent 
um, in DC on the Wizards and, and the Capitals. Not every one of those dollars will now leave DC and go to Virginia. Uh, but a large share of them will, I, you know, so for instance, if, if I'm, if I'm a basketball fan, but I'm, I'm not a rabid basketball fan. And on Friday afternoons, I like to, or shoot Friday evenings. I like to take my, my son to a wizards game. Um, and, and, and now because the wizards aren't there anymore, but I still, I live close to the, that area in Northwest DC. And, and I, I want to do something with my son that night. Maybe I'll take him to a bowling alley. Maybe I'll take him out to dinner. Maybe I'll take him to a movie theater. So I don't necessarily take the $200 I would have spent at a Wizards game uh, and then move that and spend it in Virginia. I might spend it on other entertainment venues in, in D.C. So it's, it's but so we don't know a priori or beforehand. We don't know um, how many people would behave like me in that example. Uh, so what, what percent of the money will be relocated to other entertainment venues within D.C. as opposed to the same people who went to see the Wizards in D.C. are now going to go to Alexandria. We don't know the answer to that. It's it's probable it's probable that the answer is that a large chunk of that those dollars will be lost by DC and they will go to Alexandria, Virginia. So one of the things that you've written about um, that I've seen others in this space write about as well is the opportunity cost, which is also impossible to measure. But sometimes we get to see an example like Turner Field in Atlanta. It, it gets moved on from uh, in a very controversial way uh, to, to Cobb County, uh, northern suburban Atlanta. And all of a sudden, the area around Turner Field that was kind of a nothing outside of the games is revitalized in a way where there's housing and supermarkets and all those kinds of things. Um, so if you look at what that space in DC could become, like what what are the what are the alternate options if there's not going to be an arena there? And how does like the budgets in terms of some of the other things that people bring up with DC education, et cetera? How are those things all intertwined? What what could happen? Uh, and and how the budget allows for those things to move. Well, Leonsis owns the arena, as I mm. understand it, uh, and he's although he does said, so he has a land lease on it, um, but owns the the space above ground. Yeah, right, and, right. And his, he has articulated a plan that he has to bring the WNBA Mystics to to the arena, um, and he has he says he has some other thoughts about other events too, so that he could. Conceivably, he could still have 200, 220, some similar number events there a year, and uh, it could still be serving a you know pretty functional purpose, even if it generates, uh, say, five five million dollars less in, in city tax revenue, ticket ticket tax revenue, which is I think roughly what would happen. Uh, it's not an enormous loss for Washington for this to happen. It's a loss, but not an enormous loss. Um, so it depends upon uh, how much energy and resources Leonsis is willing to put into finding alternative uh, programming for for the down, the DC the DC arena. Um, if if uh, Leonsis concludes after several years of trying to have alternate programming that it's not paying off, um, and then it, it, it's hard to imagine that arena being repurposed for some other economically viable purpose and and more likely that uh land land or ur urban real estate in downtown dc is very very valuable and you'd have to find some uh you know better use better use of that of, of that land and that would probably entail knocking down the arena um have you seen a difference in suburban arenas and the economic impact versus urban 
there aren't that many modern suburban arenas. Uh, the, the era of the suburban arena was the 60s and the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, since, since 1992, when Camden Yards was built, and Larry Lucchino showed us a model that basically said, if you put your, your sports facility next to the downtown business community, that you'll be able to attract this new type of clientele, which is basically business people who, you know, work until 530. At the end of the day, they, they, if the stadium is, is walkable distance or nearby, uh, they, they walk with their colleagues to the stadium. They go to, they go to um, a, a restaurant or a bar in the stadium. They have some drinks. They eat some, eat some delicious food, and then they stay and watch the, watch the game. Uh, that's a model that Lucchino basically brought to us, brought to the sports world that everybody has followed since 1992. Uh, and it's been a very productive model. Uh, now, if, if what happens is that as a result of the, the emergence and the rapid growth of remote work, people aren't going into the office anymore, or say half the people that used to go to downtown offices aren't going anymore, then that model becomes vitiated. It's, it's, a, it's a weaker model than, than it used to be. Now, if that happens at the same time, and this is one of the things that you raised the, the Cobb County case with the Braves, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that tends to be true about suburban land is it's further away from um, concentrations of, of residential areas and it's further away from business concentrations. And so the land tends to be less expensive than center city land. Uh, and so if, if you combine the possible effect of, of remote work with cheaper land, it might be the case, again, as what happened in Cobb County, um, it might be the case that we get a reversal. And the, the trend that started to happen in, in the 80s and 90s of uh, central city construction uh, might, might start to reverse itself or at least present a more mixed picture. Andy Zimbalist, uh, he's an economist, an author, a professor uh, with us here on the Hoffman Show for another minute or two. And, and really the last kind of topic I want to touch on uh, with you, Andy, is the, the non-monetary impact of this. And, and I'm sure you know, the nature of an economist is you're always trying to put a number on something um, because that's, otherwise you can't quantify it. Uh, that's, that's the point. Um, but you know, when you go to a movie theater, for instance, I've used this analogy a couple of times today. If you go to a movie theater, you don't expect a return on your investment. You expect to go see a good movie. So the idea that going to a sporting event would cost something is is fine, even if you pay some of that in taxes or however we pay that as citizens. So is there a way to measure kind of the the social impact of this, of a basketball team that is beloved in a city um, and, and also the hockey team, but specifically to the District of Columbia, the basketball team leaving and kind of the emotional gut punch of that, how to quantify that if you try to quantify that? Yeah, well, that's a complicated question, and I'd be happy to talk about it for the next two or three hours. <laughs> we Great. Uh, all right. So, this is now well, the Andy Zimbala uh, show. <laughs> right. Um, you know, there, if you go to, you raise the question of going to a movie, and let's mm-hmm. say that it costs $10 to go to a movie where you're living. Uh, well, then you can't quantify it. You know that the value that, that, that I, I receive for going to the movie when I buy a $10 ticket, it's at least $10. I might get some surplus. Maybe I'm, it's four, it's, I get $14 of pleasure. Yeah, out you of love it. the movie, right? But I know that 
maybe maybe I'm, I'm anticipating at least a $10 return. There is a methodology that's used. I'm not crazy about it. It's called contingent valuation methodology. And basically what it is is a fancy survey technique where you go and you ask people, how much money would you be willing, how many additional dollars of tax would you be willing to pay if you could keep the wizards in D.C.? Um, and on the basis of a survey like that, you can generate some estimates of what the psychic or community value is. But I think, as, as your question suggested, I, I, look, I think in reality what's going on with a sports team, at least has historically gone on with sports teams, is that it helps create community. It's something that brings the community together. You can talk about it over the water cooler at work. You could be at a stadium and the, you know, the center fielder on your team hits a home run in the bottom of the ninth and you win and you turn to the guy or the woman next to you and you high five them, even though you never saw them before in your life. Why is that? Because you're all rooting for the same team. You're all part of the community. And even though it might not be the most profound expression of community that you can imagine, um, it's something that's gratifying and fun to be part of a community like that. And so, yes, those, those, elements, those elements of value are certainly there uh, from a sports team. And I think those same elements of value justify to some degree uh, some public support for, for stadium building. Uh, what's unfortunate is that uh, we're, we're in a situation, and it's exemplified now with, with Virginia and D.C., uh, we're in a situation where there's open competition between two cities uh, to retain a sports team. And why do, the, why do the sports teams or Leo, Ted Leonsis get to have that happen? Because in, in the NHL and the NBA, they're monopolies and they restrict output in order to get better value for their output, higher prices. Um, and this is what Leonsis is benefiting from here. And this is what other owners throughout, throughout the professional sports have benefited from historically. Yeah, um, man, there's so many other things that I would love to, to talk. We could go talking about this stuff for hours. Uh, you know, Leon says just got a bunch of money from the Qataris and then he's asking public money. And then there's, you know, the, the larger economic uh, forces at play, you know, pandemic adjacent and not just kind of trends of different things since the seventies really um, in terms of, you know, the billionaire class versus the rest of us trying to buy tickets. Uh, but perhaps we'll save those for another day. Uh, Andy, this was so insightful. Thank you so much for your time. It's great. You want to talk about Otani's contract? I would love to talk about Otani's contract. That, that honestly, that was what I was planning on doing in part today. Is like, hey, are we still cool just going to baseball games, rooting for guys making seventy million? And must it be nice to be able to defer sixty-eight million a year down the road because you're making you so much? What's important to, to understand, um, and and not many not many sports journalists have have really understood this, is when you take the present value of what he's getting paid, where mm. sixty-eight million a year for the last ten years after he's done playing, deferred right. money. If you take the present value of that, it turns out to be something on the order of $37 million a year or, or a total of $370 million. So they're talking about this you know, record-breaking contract, which it is in nominal terms, but because it's spread so far into the future, the current value of it is actually below the, the value that Trout got or the, the value that, that Judge got. Um, I know there's also tax so It's an awful lot of well. money, to be sure. Yeah. It's an awful lot of money. Uh, but not only not only is the, does that situation lower the actual value of it, but it's also the case that it helps the Dodgers a great deal because they don't won't have to pay as much luxury tax. So right. there's, there's a lot of kind of economic fine points that uh, are behind this that I don't think have been fully assessed yet and, and understood. Well, I also know that there's he can kind of 
fuddle with the taxes as well? Because if he is retired at that point, which you'd presume that's he would not, be see, based that's, also a that's a misapprehension. That's it's, not true. So he, he has still gets- state, state, ta- states charge taxes on money that's earned in the state. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it's if you get paid the next year or not. If you earn the money while you're playing in the state and he'll he'll play 81 games a year um, at, at Dodger Stadium. He'll he'll play about right. seven or eight or nine games a year um, in, in San Francisco. He'll play the same amount in San Diego. Um, and so he'll end up getting about maybe 65% of his money from playing in California, uh, he'll have to pay California high income taxes, okay. which are 13.3%. Um, but he'll have to pay them whether he gets that money in, in 2024 or 2034 right. or 2042, um, whether he's living in Tokyo or he's living in Miami or he's living in Los Angeles, he's got to pay them anyway because the money was earned while he was playing in Los Angeles. Gotcha. Uh, so the jock tax can't escape it is what we've learned. Uh, it's not, even, it's not easy. Maybe, maybe they're going to try a, a new technique, but it's yeah. unlikely that, um, that Newsom and his, and his colleagues will allow that to happen. <laughs> uh, there you go. Learn something else that we didn't even plan on. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, greatly okay, appreciated. Pleasure. Thank Good you. To talk to you. My pleasure. All right, that is uh, Andy Zimbalist, who is an economist, a professor at Smith College, uh, and is here, published author, studied all this stuff. Really fascinating insight from him. Uh, now, he was one of the people that I really wanted to talk to today, but uh, the man who will join us next is the person that I wanted to talk to the most, find out who it is and why, and hear their insight next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, and always live on the free Odyssey app.